Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I'm your host, Isaac Longworth. Today's saint is one of the most famous saints in the history of the church. This saint is well-loved by Christians and even non-Christians all over the world. Many churches bear his name. Uh, Many babies have been named after him. And the religious order that he founded now has thousands and thousands of members all over the world. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about St. Francis of Assisi. Now we're going to learn a little bit more about St. Francis's life. We're going to learn about the effect that he had on the church, which was in crisis during his time, and how we can imitate him in order to become saints ourselves. Now, Francis was born in the year 1181 in a place called Assisi, which is in central Italy. Now, Francis's father was a wealthy cloth merchant, and so he lacked nothing growing up. Francis lived a very pampered and wealthy life. And when he got older, he became known in Assisi as quite the party animal. Francis had a very funny and outgoing extroverted personality. He had a ton of friends and he loved to feast with them, to party with them. Uh, he loved to get his friends all together and they would go and pull practical jokes on people and gossip together about all the interesting things that were happening in the city. And so Francis and his gang became the talk of the town. Everyone in Assisi wanted to know what Francis and his group were up to, and he had no problem spending tons of his father's money on parties, on buying clothes. Francis loved to look good. He loved fashion, and so he lived a pretty carefree life into his 20s. Now, in his 20s, Francis was called to go out with a small army to do battle with a nearby rival city called Perugia. Now, Italy was not united at this point, and so it was common for cities to be rivals with each other and to engage in small battles in order to establish their dominance. This is what was happening between Assisi and Perugia. So Francis goes to fight for his city, but in the battle, he is captured by the Perugians and held for over a year as a hostage. So while Francis is waiting in prison for his family to ransom him from the Perugians, he catches a serious fever. And for perhaps the first time in his life, Francis begins to think about the possibility of death. And he begins to wonder about the deeper questions in life. You know, questions like, what is the meaning of my life? What am I doing? What's my purpose? Why am I here? And so when he returns to Assisi after going through this experience, he has this new desire to make something of his life. He wants to gain glory for himself. And so he thinks that the best way to do this is to go back into battle. He thinks that if he goes on a campaign with a company of knights and he wins glory on the field of battle, that he will be remembered, that he'll have made something of his life. And so that's what he does. He plans to go out with a company of knights on a military campaign, but right before he's about to leave, he gets sick again. And while he's sick, he has this dream where God shows him armor that is marked with the sign of the cross. 
and Francis understands that he's not supposed to win glory on the field of earthly battles, but that God wants him to play a role in his army. And God commands him in the dream to stay in Assisi, which Francis does. He doesn't go out with the company of knights, but he's still searching for the meaning of his life. He's confused. He hasn't been able to find the meaning of life in pleasure and wealth. He hasn't been able to find it in military glory. And his friends notice that something is different about Francis. He grows absent-minded from them. He stops going to parties and feasts as much. He's looking for what God wants to do with him. And all of this came to a crux when one day Francis was riding down the road and he sees on the side of the road a leper who is begging. Now, leprosy was a terrible disease. It would affect the, the flesh of those who suffered from it. It would begin to rot. It was a very distasteful disease. But Francis dismounts off of his horse and embraces the leper. And he ends up giving him all of his money. And this was a big turning point, a big conversion point for Francis, because Francis was formerly pampered and obsessed with fashion and looking good and pleasure. And yet here he is embracing this diseased beggar, giving him all of his money. Now, this experience led Francis to live in increasing poverty. He began to fast more in order to draw closer to God. And people who knew him thought that maybe he had gone insane, that he had gone crazy. His father was embarrassed and angry at the direction that his son was going. He thought he was bringing shame onto his family name, but Francis didn't really care. He began to pray more and more. And one day while he was in prayer at an abandoned chapel called St. Damiano, this tiny little chapel, Francis heard the crucifix on the wall say to him, Francis, go and repair my house, which as you see is falling into ruin. Francis hears this call from the Lord, go and repair my house, which is falling into ruin. Now, Francis looked around himself at this little chapel, which was crumbling, which had fallen into disrepair. And he thought that the Lord was telling him, that he needed to get into material construction of the church. And so Francis began to rebuild the actual church building. He actually took some of his father's wares to sell in order to pay for the renovations. He stole from his father and sold it all in order to rebuild the church. Now, this was the last straw for Francis's father. He had had enough of Francis's uh, change of life. And so his father dragged him back home, beat him up, and then locked him away in a cell until he came to his senses. But while his father was away on a business trip, his mother had mercy on Francis, freed him, and Francis escaped from his father and then took refuge with the priest of San Damiano, which was the church that Francis was rebuilding with his father's money. Now, his father was still angry at him, and he tried to bring Francis to court in order to force him to renounce his inheritance. So Francis paid back the money, but he also was still entitled to the wealth of his father that would pass on to him when he died. And Francis's father was so angry at Francis that he wanted him to renounce his inheritance before the court. And Francis was eager to do this. He didn't want any wealth from his father. He had been convinced 
that the Lord wanted him to live in radical poverty in order to rely on God alone. And so Francis appeared in public before the judgment of the bishop, and he renounced everything that he would receive from his father. He renounced his inheritance. He renounced all of his earthly wealth. He even took off his clothes and gave them back to his father. He took nothing away. And from there, Francis went into the Italian countryside to live in complete poverty. No longer did he wear the fancy robes of his youth. He wore a simple clothing of a peasant. He begged for alms in order to eat, and he continued to repair the church. He also began to preach the gospel to all who would listen. He began to receive from the Lord what he was supposed to tell the people of Italy. And he began to tell them about the love of God, how God desired to draw close to them, but that the sin of the people, the sin in their heart was stopping them from experiencing the love of God and the relationship that he wanted for them. And so Francis was telling them about the sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus had come into the world and had died and risen for his people in order that they could return to God and have their faith in him renewed and that they needed to repent, to turn away from their sin, to turn away from their selfishness, to turn away from their hatred and war between the cities and to turn to God in repentance and believe in the cross of Jesus for their salvation. He began to preach this to people, encouraging them to, to deepen their penance, to be uh, engaged in brotherly love of each other, to fight for peace instead of for war. And people began to listen to him. He began to become an amazing preacher that crowds would gather to listen to. They were impressed by his poverty and the words which he would speak about the Lord. Now, other men saw Francis and were attracted to this lifestyle, and they began to gather around him as companions. They all together served the poor. They begged for all of their food. They traveled from town to town preaching the gospel. And eventually, this group grew to such a large size that Francis had to write some kind of a rule of life for them to live together. And so he wrote a very simple rule of life which was based on Jesus's instructions to his disciples that they should take nothing with them when they go to preach. Francis believed that this gospel was supposed to apply to them directly. And so they didn't own anything. They traveled from town to town begging for everything that they ate and preached the gospel and served the poor. Now, Francis was quite the character. Uh, the same personality that drew friends to him in his youth drew people to himself. He was a very loving and joyful person. People loved to be around him. And Francis also had a special love of animals. He saw them as fellow brothers and sisters, all created by God. And so he would call them things like brother wolf or sister horse. And Francis was a little bit out there. When you read the stories of what Francis was like, you get the sense of his wild personality. There's this one story where Francis was preaching to a flock of birds because no one in the city wanted to hear him. And so he was preaching to the birds. And as he was preaching and telling them how to praise God, they all began to land on him, on his arms, on his head, all over the place. And they 
landed on him and he taught them how to praise God and they all began to sing together. Uh, there's actually a statue of St. Francis in Assisi. Uh, my parents went to go see it and there is always a bird in his hand. They leave the church window open and as soon as a bird flies out of his hand and away another bird from outside comes in and lands in his hand and that's been happening for years just as a sign even now of the special love that animals had for saint francis and saint francis had for them he also uh, was once preaching to a crowd and there was a flock of birds nearby that were chirping and making noise and he asked them like brother birds please be quiet i'm trying to preach and all the birds stopped singing in order for his words to get across to the crowd. He was once brought a captured rabbit by one of his brothers who had captured this rabbit in a snare and was about to cook the rabbit. But Francis released the captured rabbit and told the rabbit, you need to be more careful next time, brother rabbit. Let him go into the forest. But the, the rabbit refused to leave him. He loved Francis too much and, and followed him around until eventually another Franciscan brother was able to chase it away. So kind of these endearing and somewhat wild stories of Francis's love for animals that made him so endearing to the hearts of many people. Now, eventually, Francis needed to seek approval from the Pope, approval from Rome for his new group, which he called the Friars Minor you now probably know of them as the Franciscans, named after St. Francis. But back then they were called Friars Minor, which is still officially their name, but many people call them the Franciscans. So the Franciscans journey to Rome to seek the Pope's permission. But the Pope rejected their request at first to start this new order. And there was good reason for this. The Pope was concerned that their life was radical, that their life was impractical, that it was dangerous, uh, he had been cautioned by several of his advisors that Francis and his group, they're, they're kind of weird. They're friends with animals. They live in poverty. They don't own anything. They kind of wander around preaching. And this is a good lesson for us. Sometimes saints seem a little bit out there, a little bit crazy, a little bit weird. And it can be jarring to us, to our sensibilities. And this is what was happening with the Pope. But the Pope that night had a dream. And in the dream, he saw that Francis was upholding this crumbling basilica, this crumbling basilica, which symbolized the entire church. And from this dream, the Pope realized that Francis's movement of radical poverty was a response that the church needed. The reform of the church that was so desperately needed. You see, the church at this time was suffering from a loss of faith, a loss of fervor, especially in the clergy. A lot of the priests and the monks were living luxurious lives. They were selling uh, church positions to their family members, kind of buying and dealing and selling church uh, positions. They were taking mistresses and fathering children. There was a lot of scandal happening in the church. And yet at this time of scandal is when God raised up this movement of the Franciscans led by St. Francis of Assisi to bring the church back to her gospel roots of a simple life lived for the Lord. And the Pope recognized that and he gave them permission to be a real religious order and continue to grow. 
Now, the Franciscans under Francis's leadership worked to rebuild the church, which was that original word that Francis received from the Lord, not just to rebuild that crumbling church of San Damiano, but to rebuild the whole universal church, which was struggling in crisis. And so the Franciscans traveled all over Europe preaching the gospel. Francis himself preached with such fervor talking about the love of God and the joy of following the gospel that whole villages were brought to repentance and deeper faith because of him. Francis wasn't a lofty preacher. He had a very simple way of reaching the common people with the love of God. It was actually Francis that invented the idea of a nativity scene. One Christmas, Francis loved Christmas. It was one of his favorite times of year. He built a nativity scene with bringing in donkeys and animals and straw and building a barn and having actors play out this scene of the birth of Jesus and then called people to come and see it, preaching from there about the love of Jesus. So he had this simple way of reaching out to the common people in a way that compelled them to give their lives to Christ like he had. But Francis had a desire to preach the gospel even farther than Italy. He wanted to go to non-Christians to tell them about Jesus. And so Francis journeyed to Palestine and Egypt in order to preach to the Christian troops that were there on crusade. The Christians were fighting with the Muslims over ownership of the Holy Land uh, in Israel and Palestine area. And so Francis went to go and preach to the Christian troops first, exhorting them to deeper faith in Jesus. But then Francis went across to the Muslim side to speak to the leader of the Muslims, the Sultan. Now, they cautioned him against this. They said, Francis, this is crazy. You're going to be killed for this. The Muslims at the time did not allow anyone to try and convert other Muslims to Christianity. That was punishable by death. And Francis expected that. He actually desired to be a martyr for Jesus, to shed his blood for the Lord. So he went over to the Muslim camp. He began preaching. But instead of killing him, the Sultan was so impressed by this poor, holy man and the simple wisdom of his words that he let him go unharmed. He actually even offered him gifts, but Francis refused, again, because of his deep love for poverty, which impressed the Sultan even more. The Sultan, even though he wasn't a Christian, recognized that this man was holy, that there was something about this man that was different from anyone he had ever met before. Now, Francis returned to Europe after his mission to the Holy Land, and he found that the rapid growth of his community, many brothers had been added to the Franciscans during his absence, had led to some problems. Because they had grown so big, their simple rule of poverty of not owning anything was no longer feasible in order to function as an order. They needed to own food, they needed to own buildings in order to study and train up new brothers. And so Francis realized that he could no longer lead the Franciscans in the way that he wanted to. And so he humbly surrendered his position as superior to the other brothers who would take over and lead the community that he founded himself. Again, a very humble man. He didn't hold on to the power of leading his group. He surrendered it to someone else and let them lead while he continued to live a life of really astounding poverty. 
Now, soon after this happened, as Francis was getting older, Francis experienced a mystical experience as he was meditating on the Lord's passion. Francis had a deep love for Christ crucified, and during meditation, he received the gift of the stigmata. Now, if you haven't heard of the stigmata, this is a mystical experience that God gives to some of the saints where they actually suffer in their body the wounds that Jesus suffered on the cross. And so in Francis's case, while he was praying and reflecting on the Lord's passion, he actually had nail wounds appear in his hands and feet and a lance wound appear in his side, which caused him great pain, but he was able to suffer this with Jesus on the cross. Now, even though Francis was only in his early 40s, his life of penance and poverty, of sleeping in the cold and begging for food, had left his body weak. And he was actually almost completely blind from eye infections that had taken away his sight. And so Francis was on the point of death. He was nearing death. And at his final moments, Francis removed even his habit. So he returned to God with nothing laid down on the ground, seeking to die as he came into the world, going to the Lord who had created him. And that's how he died. As he laid there on the ground with nothing to cover him, his brothers around him read the passion of St. John from the gospel, and he died of his illness when he was only 45 years old. Now, St. Francis, kind of this wild, almost romantic character has captured the hearts and minds of Catholics throughout the centuries who are impressed by his, his joyful living of the gospel, his radical poverty, his love of animals. But even non-Christians have a love for St. Francis of Assisi. In his time, it was the Muslims and the Sultan who were impressed by him. But even modern atheists see that there's something to the life of Francis that is to be encouraged. This simplistic lifestyle not being hindered by the wealth and trappings of the world. And this is one of the main reasons. Because of his simplicity, his complete rejection of earthly riches is attractive to people. His lack of worldly attachment allowed him to be focused entirely on being united with Jesus. And this is something that I think all of us can imitate in order to become saints ourselves. Jesus himself taught his disciples that wealth can be an impediment to becoming a saint. Right? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard to be rich and seek God at the same time. Now, of course, I'm not saying that earthly possessions are necessarily the problem. I'm not saying that you have to sell everything that you have in order to live like Francis. Although, I do believe that there are some listening who might be called to live this kind of radical poverty. You might be called to literally give up everything in order to completely give your life to Christ. But all of us are called to not be attached to wealth. And that's where the real pursuing of sainthood comes. Now, of course, it's easy for us to convince ourselves that we're not attached to wealth. 
It can be hard to spot greed in our own lives. And so a practical first step is to make sure that all of the things that you already own are helping you become a saint. If you own things that are getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord, then it's time to get rid of them. It's not just that you have to own religious things, that you have to only own rosaries and crucifixes, but that you need to use everything you own for the glory of God to draw closer to him. I also think that it's a good idea that like Francis, we need to take an honest look at our earthly belongings and ask ourselves, do I really need this? Maybe the Lord, through the inspiration of St. Francis, is calling us to get rid of some of our stuff, give more to the poor, that we don't just give out of our excess, but that we give out of our need as well. We live in a materialistic culture. This is the reality that we live in. It compels us to amass stuff, just stuff upon stuff upon stuff. But freedom from earthly wealth allows us to refocus on God and make him the first priority. And living a simple life like Francis did is a witness to the world around you, that you live counterculturally. You show by your very life that your hope is not in the wealth of this world. It's not in the pleasures of this world, but it's in the life that is to come in heaven. So let's pray for that grace now through St. Francis's intercession. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi, give us your love for poverty in order to rely totally on God so that we can preach the gospel unhindered with our words and our actions. Give us your joy in life, in prayer, in creation, so that everything we do bears witness to God's goodness and gives him the glory. St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.